Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 5, Episode 11 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. This is slated to come out on October 3rd, 2022, and we're going to get right into it. So I'm just going to kind of explain the drinks that we're doing. They're both things that we've brewed, um, and brewed separately, uh, but they're off of a recipe that Ricky and I kind of have developed together um one of them was the original like recipe it's called cider and um the other one is a uh a recipe we call basic bitch uh, but i brewed with some friends it's based off of that same recipe now the difference between the two is that one of them was made in 2018 right after i moved in here that's the oldest one and it is um roughly four or five years old something like that mm-hmm. yeah um the other one so yeah it'd be uh it'd be four years old at this point right 2018 is when we moved in we made it like that winter yeah it'd be yeah. it'd be roughly four years old uh, like four and a half the other one is was made in um 2020 um like summer of 2020 mm-hmm. something like that so it's about like two years old year and a half old something like that um and it is the difference in color is amazing. They're both carbonated, but the the newer one is a much lighter color, and the older one is much darker. Yeah. Um, so why don't you go ahead and talk about it while I try mine? I haven't tried them yet. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting what that difference in those those two years makes. So the youngest one, the one that's still two years old, which is pretty old for a cider, mm-hmm. still has like a lot of funkiness to it. Not in a bad way, but just like that funk flavor little bit sour, you know, you can taste those spices in it. It's retained the carbonation really well. Mm-hmm. Whereas the one that's closer to like four years old, it is so smooth. A lot of the, the flavors have kind of toned down a little bit. It's almost more like a wine in the sense that it's mm-hmm. not carrying a whole bunch of carbonation, but there's still a little bit there. And it's, I mean, it's almost smooth like water. Like it's not watery, but it's just so smooth. There's, even though it's a higher ABV, it's just got no burn to it, nothing really acrid sticking out. It's um, it's really good. Yeah the the oldest one is oh no, the the newer one is higher. It's ten point one percent ABV. Okay, and this one I think is seven or eight percent. Okay, yeah, yeah, seven or eight's about where we normally made that old one. I th- I think we thought when we started that the newer one's only six. You are correct. I, yeah. I I just happened to look at it as I like That's I was okay. like, didn't we put that on the label? You know, and and yes, it's on the label. Yeah, but even then, I mean, seven or eight percent that smooth. You know, that's almost one of those like dangerous things. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not sure. Like I would drink either one if you brought it to me in a glass or like a bar or something. I'm not sure I would order the basic one again, but I'd get like two or three. Of the aged one, and then I would probably be so messed up and not even know it because of the, that ABV just sneaks up on you. Yeah, and I mean it looks like a wine too. I I think I think the difference in 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 cider base that we use between the two might also affect because we use Westinghouse for the mm-hmm. oldest one, and I used uh, Mott's for the newer one. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think you mean uh, White House for the. Yeah. Yes, not Westinghouse, yeah. White House. White House is one of my favorites for ciders just because it's got a different like apple profile. Right. It's a much smoother, it's not quite as sweet, but it's also not as acidic. But yeah, I mean, you're right to that end. I mean, the older one, 
still just looks like apple juice. Right. Whereas the the newer one kind of looks more like a light beer. You know, it's got that like it's the yellowish color. You, if you show that to someone, they they would probably know it's not apple juice just by itself because it's got such a lighter color to it. I feel like though there is a spicy character because this one's spiced. Oh, there is. Both yeah. of them were spiced, if I remember correctly. But this one was heavily spiced using the um the and I, I say this one. I'm holding it up like you can see it. I mean the newer one, the basic bitch. Um. The that one is more robust in its flavor profile as far as like spice goes. Yeah, it's a lot more pronounced. The right. older one has muted a lot, but they've melded together really well with that. It's making me think that probably what I want to do is make like a five gallon batch of something that's still fairly simple and then just chuck it in the garage. You know, like let me get five or six years on something and see what that tastes like. Yeah, get a silicon bong in it and do mm. this. I, I think that would be a great experiment. I well, so I think that this one's on its downhill. The the newer one, the older one, is on its downhill. So I think probably three years is it like at its perfect. Okay. Like kind of like place because I know I still had some of these at like a year and a half, and I had mm -hmm. those and they still gave me really bad heartburn. This one was doing the same thing, but this one I used some more. Uh, the, the I, keep, I keep holding them up. The newer mm -hmm. one, so stupid, Joe. Um, but the newer one, uh, and and these are both dry ciders. They're not they're not sweet. Uh, but the newer one, um, I did. Um, you know, newer brewing techniques that I've learned mm -hmm. since we made that one, the older one, um, and and this one has a tincture of cider. That I, I I didn't I mean I tincture of the spices mm -hmm. so that's why it's got baking spices in it I put some brown sugar in it to give it some molasses notes like things like that mm -hmm. and then there's more nutrients in this one that's why this one's more drinkable at this stage than that one was because that one was rough yeah. <laughs> still like right up till that point so at some point what I would like to do is take and make this recipe again but spice it the same way I did with this and give it the same nutrient schedule as I did yeah. with this. Well, it, it's a long haul experiment though, right? So like, I guess I'm thinking make a five gallon of something whenever you feel like bottle it up. A five gallon will get you like 28 bottles somewhere yeah. around there. And then you just like have one a season. You yep. just see how it ages. Like it's your seven years of aging. You know, it's the first time you drink one, you're like, oh, this wasn't as good as the last one. You know, you've hit your peak. You can go drink the rest of them. It'd be a, you know, obviously we're talking about almost a decade of someone's time tasting something, <laughs> but it would be a fun experiment though. I, I think that's, that's the next thing to do though. Let's make, let's figure out like two or three things we'd like to do that with mm -hmm. and just make like a couple of batches all back to back that are that way. Like at the end of the season, yeah. uh, after we finish recording the podcast, just do that. And during our off time between, you know, December and, um, March, April time period just have all that stuff kind of worked out I think yeah. that'd be great yeah all right let's talk about the new NVIDIA 4000 series GPUs have you heard about these yet I've heard about them I've seen a little bit of people like doing them off they look real good though I saw from the notes there are maybe some power consumption concerns yeah <laughs> so um the 4090 has been announced mm -hmm. and it is not 900 watts 
Okay. Um, it can still consume a little bit more than what a 3080 and 3090 can consume. Though. Okay. Um, according to NVIDIA's number, it's supposed to be about double the amount of, you know, performance. People mm-hmm. got to get stuff in their hands, though, to see how good that is. But um, it's still, they're still pretty power hungry. I mean, yeah. my first computer only had a max TDP of around 300 watts altogether like with everything that was in it mm-hmm. you know um so now we have you know computers that are pulling you know a thousand watts you know total and the graphics processor and the um, central processing unit you know those both take up about a quarter three quarters of that power like mm-hmm. com- consumption so is it too much? I mean, considering the Steam Deck and the performance that you get from a well-optimized, inbuilt graphics, I mean, they're they're not the same. You're not 4K gaming. We're talking about 720p versus 4K, but still, is it too much? I mean, what what did the ultimate wattage end up being? For what? The 490. Uh, I think it's like 350, 400. Okay, I mean, that's still... That's not as bad as what was in the notes, but that's still that's rough. Yeah, I'd put because it was reported to possibly take up to nine hundred watts. Yeah, nine hundred would be crazy. Um, I'll I'll admit it does have me a little concerned because there's there's this usage curve right for like the average person, even someone getting into gaming, between like one, how well does it run? Like, what's your actual performance? How much heat is that pumping up into the rest of your systems? And you know your price point and stuff like that. I'm sure it'll be expensive. But I'll admit, when I first read it, I was saying, hey, the wattage is up. I was like, man, that's that's going to come with heating concerns. I'm not sure if I ever told you about my old, uh, like, my first gaming computer was, like, on a GTX 285. Yeah, and, and then you told re- me about the 750 Ti that you had, too, that was, like, a heat heat machine. Yeah, well, it was the 285. That was the heat machine. I jumped straight from that 285 to, like, a 980. Because hmm. uh, I ran that that machine into the ground, but um, it it would like I'd you would be in a regular size bedroom. That was what my office was. I'd play a game on that thing. You'd be sweating. Yeah, like it'd heat up a whole room. It was so hot. But you know, if you take a look away from that, you're saying, okay, well, what if you're not doing it for casual gaming? What if you're doing it for something like crypto, and you're already putting it in a, something like a rack with a whole bunch of coolers on it and stuff. So I'm wondering if maybe that's where they're thinking. We're like, look, we can we got to straddle this line between people who want a good card for gaming and people who are buying cards to do stuff like mining. Because well, they have very different needs in terms of cooling and efficiency and stuff like that. It's funny you bring that up. <laughs> because mining is kind of going the way of the dodo now. It's rough now, man. Yeah. I mean... From what I've seen, and I'm not an expert, but from what I've been seeing on a lot of the current crypto prices after things have kind of really crashed down, that it's actually not economical to mine a bunch of coins now. No, it's not. You know, I think Bitcoin's break-even point is something like 21000 something yeah. around like that, and it's down at like nineteen. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Ethereum, they've now moved to stake. Stake, so, so like, you don't, unless you're doing Ethereum Classic, which is not nearly as profitable as the main Ethereum line you're gonna you know have some some issues sorry i had to had to pour the rest of the basic cider it's still good yeah it's good. Mm. very very good very good cider uh anyways so yeah so i i think 
I think, though, the argument for having a super powerful card, especially since they have minor-only cards now, mm-hmm. that are more efficient, um, the argument to have that is much, much less. Um, and I I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in cryptocurrency. Um, I do dabble in that. I mean, mm-hmm. we both have like done our dabbling we know a good bit about it and and i i'm pretty passionate that cryptocurrency is eventually in some way shape form or fashion probably not in the way that it is right now going to take over finance right um but there's probably going to be no anonymity there's probably going to be no anything else like that uh that are some of the founding things Mm -hmm. that people love about these cryptocurrencies that exist now yeah not not to take it too far off the side but on that note have you heard about some of the stuff china is thinking about recently in terms of digital money yeah yeah crazy stuff yeah people listening that haven't heard and this isn't brand new stuff this is just getting brought up again it's like uh, economic concerns are coming up is china has floated the idea of a digital currency Yep. Not really a cryptocurrency, but it's just a digital currency issued by the government that has an expiration date. So if you don't spend it by a certain point, you lose it. Lose it, it. yeah. That's just wild to think about. Like One, I mean, that'd be scary government control. But two, I mean, just how pitfally digital currency can get yep. if you take away some of those founding principles. Yeah. You know? Um, just like we, we've talked a couple times about how, like, well, streaming used to be able to say it was from cable, but now it's pretty much just cable again. Yep. Because these principles about just, like, on demand, it's still yours, stuff like that, just kind of went away with a lot of services. And now they kind of suck. You get games people have bought being taken off of yep. digital services, and now they can't play them anymore, yada, yada. I mean, imagine that with, like, your actual money. Yep, it just goes away. Yep. It's you're leasing your money. You're not. You're exactly. not actually. You can never save it. You just have it. to spend it on stuff. Yep. Yeah. Wild. So, um, yeah, I I think I think the the main takeaway though from the GPU thing is I'm not sure that I want a four thousand series graphics card unless there's some significant reason for me to move from my 3080 and my 3080 Ti, Mm -hmm. which are amazing graphics cards. Yeah. Like they do everything that I want and more. Um, I I just, and and my 2070 is still awesome. I've got a 2060, a 2070, uh, a 3080 and a 3080 Ti that I have in different systems. And I love all of them. They all do different things. I just discovered how to really lower the size of my um, uh, of my uh, video library because you know, like I run my own Plex Media mm-hmm. Server, and so I'm re-encoding uh, some of my H.264 into NVENC, uh, which is the NVIDIA encoder mm-hmm. for H.265, and putting a, instead of having like FLAC or something like that for the audio stream, using like a Vorbis. Uh, audio stream which is a higher compression a lossy compression all this other stuff but it is it goes like it took a 30 gig file that i had for army of darkness which is already like um a lower so like even though the you, you can tell that the the source material that they used to make that 1080p print was not like something like from a criterion collection yeah, or yeah. something like that but I was able to get that down to like four gigs. 
pretty good. That's pretty awesome, right? <laughs> I stripped out some of the stuff I didn't need. Like there were some audio tracks in there that I didn't need. There was a couple other things. Just stripped that stuff out and made it. And you know, like I still have the if I if I want that, you know, full experience of Army of Darkness on my you know system, I can put it in my PS3 and play the Blu-ray or PS4 and play the Blu-ray of it. Mm-hmm. So I've got that. But if I want the convenience of being able to stream it anywhere, like on my phone or something, that's a pretty amazing like size difference yeah. between the two. My 2070 does that just fine mm-hmm. in like 20 minutes. Yep. <laughs> so you know. Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard to make that argument. Like I've got my 3080 and it's I've never come close to pushing the envelope on it. Yeah. The only thing I've ever played that didn't perform well was like a Skyrim mod pack with like a thousand mods in it, and that's not the card. That's just the mod pack, right? You know. So like yeah, I mean forty eight forty thousand or four thousand series or whatever they're calling it, that's cool, but I mean what is there to consume that needs it? Right. You know? Well, so I I think the if we're talking about the business applications that could come out of using a more powerful card like that to do like that's AI true. research, but that they've got the consumer grade graphics cards locked down. Yeah. Um, so unless there's some new like it it's RTX performance is double the amount and more games are supporting RTX uh, and ray tracing and things like that. And they've got like these really great experiences that you can have with the 40 series that you couldn't have with the 30 series. I just don't see the value proposition for the average consumer. If they, if they don't have a 10, 20 or 30 series graphics card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The equivalent graphics card, I don't think is going to be that much of a bump. From yeah, the 30 series. I, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, even the 20 series was a really... They 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 had some lackluster performance in other places, but they're still pretty pretty awesome. So, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so, I was going to talk about prepping for the DevCore, but we've had some major turnarounds with oh, our DevCore yeah. prep. So, um, I think we just should just go through our story, like, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, I'll start. We did a lot of study. We read the official like um, Cisco learning, you know, stuff. We did some uh, uh, real work in the um, uh, in like making flashcards and mm-hmm. setting things up. Um, oh, I just remembered. I promised someone I'd give them access to our flashcards, and I forgot all about it yesterday. I need to do that. Okay. Um, but you know, we made we did all the study stuff. We mm-hmm. we hit it hard. Kind of the same thing that we did for the DevNet, and you went to go take it, and I'll let you take over from there. Oh yeah, and it was brutal, and I mean, not even in a way that. But we've talked about Cisco search. They're hard. Yeah. And sometimes you get questions that feel unfair. I kind of felt that way about DevCore, which I did for the Associate. I thought the Associate was an amazing test. The DevCore had a lot of problems where there's this big leap out of the concepts into you need to have a lot of like just knowledge about particular APIs. And particular so, APIs the way that Cisco used them, right? Well, not so much that, just because a lot of the APIs is like it's a Cisco product, yeah. but it's like where the associate would give you, you know, the API doc and say, okay, something's wrong with this, you know, query, go fix it. 
it just doesn't give you the doc a lot of times. Or if it does, it, it's not super helpful. Like I had one question that um, I think it was the Intersight API. I'm not sure. I don't remember anymore. But basically, it had this um, this syntax for doing a, like a less than or a greater than that wasn't standard. So you had to go check the docs to see like L E G E, you know, what symbols and stuff like that. But they gave me like a ten page document. And all I needed was like two sentences out of one paragraph on it. Right. And you don't get a lot of time for questions. So it's like, you almost might not have bothered to give me the doc at that point. Cause I don't have time to read through this to find the little bit of information I need. Yeah, and it's not like you could control F and search the document. Exactly. Cause you're like stuck in this, this little environment. I was just like speed reading, you know, looking for just symbols to see if I could find them on the page. And then other times, you know, they'll, you put you in an API, they'll leave half the URL out and just expect that you have that API path memorized. Yeah. No docs. And so that was, that was a big punch. I'll say like the multiple choice questions, they were difficult, but I kind of thought they were fine. You know, like it wanted to know some very specific stuff about some APIs, but it was at least like general knowledge, but I just, I couldn't get over that. How many questions were, you know, here's a fill in the blank for an API. Here's an API query that's written wrong. What's wrong with it? But they don't give you the documentation for the API. So I, I admit I walked out of that test thinking, okay, like what do I do from here? I'm not really interested in downloading four or five products API docs that would be hundreds of pages and just memorizing them all. Yeah. Yeah, so the the then we changed tactics, right? And, yeah, we did. We, and we were going through the uh, official cert guide. Yeah, the cert guide came out, I mean, by the time you're hearing this, probably about three months ago. It's like two, two and a half months now. Uh, came out at the end of July. So we've been reading through that. And what I'm hoping is since kind of before now, the cert guide hasn't been out. There's been a study guide, but not the, the official cert guide which normally Cisco is pretty good about the cert guide matching up with the test. Yep. I'll admit so far in the cert guide, I've not seen a lot of that really super in-depth API stuff. So yep. what I'm hoping is that maybe Cisco has taken some of those questions out or, you know, again, I'll, I'll firmly say, I think that test, if everything was just documented, would be a lot better. Cause at least when I went to school and I was learning to program and stuff like that, you know, those were, open book tests yeah because you're not going to memorize everything in a language if you don't know how to write api calls you don't know python or something like that giving someone the api doc is not going to suddenly let them like stumble through it um but it just your developers should never have to memorize something like that because things change yeah i mean like meraki went from version zero to version one i've heard some talks of version two of their api and things change between them. They're not necessarily backwards compatible. So it just feels a little bit of a dated concept to me to ask your, you know, your developers getting the certification to memorize essentially a particular version of the API docs when your APIs update all the time. You know, hopefully there's backwards compatibility within the same version, new version will come out, or just like new endpoints will be made, probably with every release. Yeah. So that's that's a race you can't win if you're not giving somebody something to look through. Absolutely. And I feel like it, so I probably going to have a second job where I'm doing something where I'm, I'm making test questions and I had to 
for that job, I had to like read through like a little course they give you. It's just mm-hmm. like a short document, but um, it basically tells you how they want you to make test questions. And like reading through it, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. And this is absolutely the guidelines that everyone should have for how to make test questions. And I don't see that in the Cisco test questions. And one of the things that's important is the test question should be, you should be able to find the information or know the information without it just being in the book, but it needs to be referenced in whatever your mm-hmm. material is and stated specifically in that material. So the Cisco test questions, and one of the beefs I've always had with them are that they oftentimes aren't. They're yeah. in some sort of special material that, I mean, we ran into this with the DevNet too. There, there was a couple of questions that were in there that they're not in other material. You have to like know specifically what that material is about and then go find it to find that information. But if you didn't know, you couldn't know because nobody's like teaching that in any of the classes, anything yeah. like that. Yeah, so. I, I think that's my, you know, again, we'll see if the test has changed any, but I, I can say that is probably my primary contribute at the dev core is just where do you get exposed to that other than, you know, okay, I just somehow got my hand on some of these enterprise tools. You know, I just spent weeks and weeks and weeks in some developer lab somewhere because the official course material didn't have it. And we, you know, we've both taken, you know, we didn't completely go through the Pluralsight course. Yeah. We took the official course. We went through Pluralsight. Both of those have tests. You know, we were passing our tests on oh, the yeah. official one. I got expert level on the yeah. Pluralsight one. Went and took that test. Wasn't even close. Yeah. And you I know? got the advanced level on the on the Pluralsight one. So mm-hmm. me passing the DevNet, no problem. Me plas- passing the DevCore, probably not going to happen. Yeah, not, not I, right now. Yeah, once we finish the book, I'm going to give it another shot. But I think I've kind of already internalized. Like, look, if I give this another shot after having taken the official course and read the official book, and I'm just no, not even close, I'm probably going to switch to another cert. Yeah. Because, you know, at some point, because we're like the target audience, right? Yeah. We both, you know, work at Cisco. I'm a developer at Cisco. I've developed tons of automation that runs entire services. In fact, I'm being asked to go rewrite a whole bunch of new stuff to use with a different controller. Right. You know, so if I'm walking in there getting completely blindsided, what is the experience for just a random person trying to get into it? Like when you're not inside that world and you're like, hey, I want to get into network automation. Maybe I'm fresh out of school. Maybe I'm just looking for a career change. And we talked about the same stuff with the CCNA about how it's a really good cert to go push yep. yourself through to get into the industry. I mean, as it stands right now, I have a hard time recommending the dev core, that professional level. I can recommend the associate. I think the yeah. associate's a great test. They, they nailed it. Which is what let me down so much that I felt like the professional one just didn't hold up to that same standard. I feel like the professional material is really good. The oh, stuff yeah. that you study the books is are awesome. Great. I've the learned a great. ton. I just don't think that – I just – I don't know about the test, but I also feel like that about the CCMP. The CCMP, while I have it, I passed it. I put a lot of effort into learning it. It has some contradictory material in it. It has some points where the material – like, clearly the people that wrote some of the test questions were not native English speakers. 
And that's fine if you're if they're writing it in like German and then you're giving that to someone in German. Mm-hmm. But if it's someone who is not a native English speaker or they don't speak the version of English that you're taking the test in, don't use their test question. You know, the double negatives, the trying to trip you up, the lack of like real clarity in the test questions or like what material you need mm-hmm. to be able to actually like get through that, that just makes that while I appreciate that they're trying to protect the investment of that, it's kind of like when someone talks about pastoral mystique, you know, you're not, you're not actually protecting anything. You're setting it up to be abused or forcing people to do things that they shouldn't do to, to be able to, to like reach this kind of level of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the pressure to keep that up is so high and it's so hard to keep it up eventually people will burn out or they're not going to like be able to manage it at some point. So I appreciate some of the advancements that they've done. I still think it's a very worthwhile cert. It is definitely has some good stuff to it, but it doesn't have the, um, the weight of the CCIE in most places don't give you bonuses or something based off your CCMP. Mm-hmm. And then the CCMP also doesn't have like, the ease of getting into it or the community around like really making sure that you have that, you know, based off of the, so it just kind of becomes this like really difficult sort to get, but it's also not really like, it's kind of like the PS Vita of certs the the creator is just not really pouring into it like they should. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can definitely see kind of where you're coming from with that. You know, I think maybe the most telling thing is in this new round of certs, Cisco has opened up continuing education credits. Right. So you can take some of their courses and get credits. You don't have to take the test again. You can renew them with those. And obviously we work with a bunch of people that are all Cisco certified. I don't know anybody who's planning on taking their tests again as opposed to doing continuing education. Because even if you've got them, even if you work in networking every day, those certs are so hard. They're brutal. That, like, I wouldn't leave it up to chance. Yeah. You know? Me either. I, I've recertified my CCMP a couple times, and that was hard. Mm-hmm. And I did it off the T-shoot, um, which you can't do anymore because yeah. they don't have that available. And that was because I am an expert in troubleshooting stuff. <laughs> like, I, there's few things that I can get up here and I can be like, I am an expert in that, like, at the level that I am probably one of, like, you know, like, the people you should be listening to when you're talking about this sort of mm-hmm. thing. I could just walk in there and just like nail that test every time. Yeah. You know, it's not, it, it's not easy, but it just, it's in my belly wick of things that I know how to do. Um, and there's a couple other things like that. Like when we're talking about like hardware VPN. I am the man. I know that stuff left and right, back and forward. Right. Mm. Um, when we're talking about like writing an API, I know a lot but I'm not that level, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you're the guy that knows about that. Not me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm much less, less in that. And, and that's part of this journey. I'm learning that and I'm developing those skills and everything like that. Um, I mean, I've gotten a hundred times better since we started this, when we started like using products like NSO and, oh, yeah, and DNAC and stuff like that. Right. So, um, but yeah, so anyways, it just, if, if you're going into it and you've got that expertise and you know how to get the, the questions answered and you know where to get the material, this dev core is a really good cert probably to have in your back pocket. Um, but it, it, you, they don't have the expert out yet and 
So, you know, you're, you're kind of in that place where you're like the dev expert, but you're not the dev expert, you know, kind of deal. So it's a, it's a weird, like amalgamation of cert there. Yeah, it is. Well, I think that is the end of our topics for today, unless you got something else you want to say. No, I think we covered it all. All right. So that was season five, episode 11 of the beer and broadband podcast slated to come out on October 3rd, 2022. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.